All right, if you have a Bible, please open to Acts chapter 1. Listen, we're going to be looking at a bunch of Scripture today, and it's not all going to be on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, you probably have some kind of smart device in your pocket. Go to that smart device and go to the App Store right now and download the Bible app so that you can follow along today. It's free. Just type in Bible in your App Store. Download it. Once you get it, go to Acts chapter 1. For the rest of us, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. Uh, I'm going to be reading and preaching from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Today, uh, the preaching team at Reality Ventura, we've been spending some time in the CSB. It's a good, faithful translation. And so we're um, teaching from that today. I'm going to give a little intro here, and then uh, we'll pray and get into the topic for today. So we're in the middle of a 15-week series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit right now. We're taking the entire summer to talk about who the Holy Spirit is, um, what his role is, and how we are to relate and interact with and to him. Today is week four in that 15-week series, and the last three weeks were foundational to everything that we'll be talking about for the rest of the summer. So if you didn't catch all of those last three weeks, make sure you go to wherever you consume sermons at, realityventura.com or a podcast or whatever, and listen to those three uh, sermons that were the beginning of this series. Two weeks ago, Zach talked about who the Holy Spirit is. And one of the most, most pointed, salient points of that sermon was Zach talked about how the Holy Spirit is not something to use, but rather someone to know, is the person of the Holy Spirit. There's an interpersonal relating to the Holy Spirit that was intended to be had. We don't say it when referring to the Holy Spirit. We say He, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Katie Rio shared her story that week about how in the midst of her crippling sickness, it was the Holy Spirit that was like a tangible comforter to her, as Katie put it, the best friend that I've ever known. And then last week, Billy gave an overview of what the role of the Holy Spirit is. We talked about how the Holy Spirit's aim in everything he does is to exalt Jesus, set people apart unto God for God's purposes, and to engage his people in mission. Now, how does he do that, and what exactly does that look like? Well, that's some of what we're going to be talking about today and in the coming weeks. So if the last three weeks were like a a 30,000-foot overview perspective, we're digging into like some ground-level stuff. And listen, some of this might feel a little bit more academic than some of us are used to with with sermons, but I just want to say that's all right, and that's good. It is good and right to engage with God and his kingdom um, on a heart level, But it's also good to understand. We need to understand God on a a mind level. It is right and good to know him, understand him, experience him with our hearts and our minds. The topic we're looking at today is so crucial that Jesus told the disciples they were forbidden from fulfilling the Great Commission until this thing happened. The topic we're looking at today is the baptism of the Holy Spirit also known as spirit baptism. Let's pray together. Lord, you are a good father. It's Father's Day, Lord, so I don't know if this is weird to say, but happy Father's Day to you, Lord. You are a good father who knows exactly what we need. Thank you that you see every person in here today and you say, yeah, I I know you, I know your life. I see things that nobody else sees. I know things about you maybe you don't even understand about yourself yet. And I know exactly what you need today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do, speak, move in whatever way is right for each one of our lives. I submit my mouth, my mind, my heart, my my lips, everything to you and ask that you would speak to us. You are the chief shepherd. You are the senior pastor of the church. So we look to you as the one who, who leads and speaks and who knows exactly what we need today. In Jesus' name, amen. So you could say that the greatest promise ever given to the world is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Here's the promise. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Greatest promise to the world. But the greatest promise to the church that was ever made is found right here in Acts chapter 1. You should have your Bible or technology open to Acts chapter 1. 
starting in verse 4. Let's see the greatest promise ever made to the church. While he, that is Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But, again, he reiterates, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The greatest promise ever given to the world Believe on Jesus and you will not perish but have everlasting life. But the greatest promise ever given to the church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The first promise is made about Jesus. The second promise is made by Jesus. The first has to do with being made new. It has to do with salvation. But the second has to do with being made effective. It has to do with unction, with power. Both are absolutely necessary and critical for the Christian. The first is the means by which we become Christians, but the second is the means by which we live fruitful and faithful lives as Christians. The first is putting our faith in Jesus. The second is being baptized with the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of uh, the Gospel of Luke, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist was speaking about Jesus. And then at the end of Luke, Jesus says, I am sending you what my Father promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Now, who did Jesus say this to? To the disciples. But when did Jesus say it? Jesus said it after the disciples had already been converted, after they had been saved, after they had believed in Jesus, confessed Jesus. Remember in John 20, 22, after Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus, it says that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. At that moment, the Holy Spirit came into them and dwelt within them. And when the Holy Spirit comes into a person, they pass from death to life, spiritually speaking. And that's what happened to the disciples when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us that causes us to be born again, regenerated, new creations, saved. And someone cannot be a Christian, you cannot be born again, without the Holy Spirit coming into you. And this happens through faith in Jesus and repentance from sin. Speaking to Christians, Paul says in Romans 8, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. But there is a second work or experience of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon us and filling us with himself. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said to the disciples, who had the Spirit in them but not yet on them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. The inexperience has to do with salvation, regeneration, adoption. This is how we are born again. But the upon experience has to do with power, enabling, boldness. It makes us faithful and fruitful. Two different experiences we see in the Bible. And just like you cannot be born again without the first experience, the Holy Spirit coming in you, you cannot be fruitful and faithful as you were intended to be without the second experience, the Holy Spirit coming upon you. In other words, you can't expect to see the kind of power, boldness, faithfulness, and effectiveness that you see in Scripture without spirit baptism. Billy talked about it last week, and I mentioned it a minute ago, that one of the three objectives of the Holy Spirit, everything that he does, is for the purpose of engaging us 
in mission. Listen, fruitful and faithful mission only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we just finished the book of Matthew a month ago as a church. And remember what Jesus said after he rose from the dead? He said, go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. The great commission, right? And this is why we are still here. This is our purpose. We are here to make him known, to fulfill the great commission. You have been sent by Jesus to go and make him known. That's what Jesus said. But there was a caveat. Remember, there was a caveat. Jesus said, okay, go, but wait. Don't go yet. But wait. Before you go and start making him known, Jesus said you must wait. Jesus forbid the disciples from going out and fulfilling their purpose until one thing happened. Acts chapter 1, we see it. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what? The Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, and here's the promise, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The Spirit coming upon us is so necessary and vital to the mission that Jesus told the disciples that they weren't allowed to go out and start doing it until the Spirit came upon them. Listen, if you do not have the Holy Spirit upon, filling you, overflowing you, then for the sake of everything that is holy in the world, please do not try to go out and be on mission. You're going to get burnout beat up, and most likely see very little fruit and have very little joy. But on the contrary, if you've got the Holy Spirit and you're still hunkered down in your safe little comfortable life, dude, stop it. Stop it. God has given you his Spirit for a reason. And yes, it is for the purpose of knowing and enjoying Jesus. Yes, it is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. But you can do all of that in heaven. The reason that God has given you his Spirit and left you here on earth is to start making disciples of all nations starting in your Jerusalem. Hey, Chad, can you turn on that fan, please? One pastor says it this way. While God is in me for my sake, he is upon me for yours. The disciples receive the Holy Spirit in them, indwelling them for their salvation, their adoption. But he came upon them and filled them up to the point of overflowing so that they could be witnesses to others. It was for the sake of every other single, not yet saved, not yet adopted into the family of God person in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the nations. Hey, you want to go to heaven and that's it? All right, no problem. Listen, when you trust in Jesus and repent of your sin, he gives you his spirit. The spirit comes and lives in you. But listen, if you want to live and walk fruitfully and faithfully with power and boldness, fulfilling your purpose until you get to heaven, then you need the Spirit of God to be poured out upon you, filling your cup to overflowing. If you're still alive, listen, you're here for a reason, and it's not to like make and handle your money well or to raise good kids or to enjoy God's creation, although all of those things are fine and good. You are here as an ambassador for Christ. That's why you're still alive. That's why God hasn't killed you and taken you home yet. You are an ambassador for Christ. You have been sent by Jesus. You have been commissioned by him in his authority to go out and make disciples of all nations starting in your Jerusalem, starting at your home base. That's why you're here. But you can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power comes through spirit baptism. God's plan for you is to be an agent of spiritual change and awakening everywhere you go. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You know what happens when when a light comes into a dark room? If you've ever been in this room, when the lights are off um, at night, it's like you can't see your hand in front of your face. I'll tell you what, you take a little tiny iPhone light, 
it literally lights up the whole way. You can see everything. You can see, like, where you're going. One little light. You know what happens when a light comes in a room? It starts lighting stuff up. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You were designed to carry with you the power and presence of the living God. And it is that power and presence of God that changes everything. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples with power, everything changed. Everything changed. Turn now in your Bibles over to Acts chapter 2. When you get it, say, got it. All right. Everything changed when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in power. Let's read it for ourselves. Acts chapter 2. Just put yourself in, the, in, these, in like this scene, though, okay? Fifty days before this moment, uh, Jesus died. Three days later, he rises from the dead. Um, commissions his disciples to make disciples of all nations. But he tells them, well, hold on. Go to Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes, until the Holy Spirit is, comes upon you in power. And so they're there. They're waiting in the upper room, 120 of them. They're waiting expectantly for the promise of the Father. And it says in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of them can hear them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, how do you pronounce that? And Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Christians and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Peter, you remember Peter, right? Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days. Both men and women. And they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on. He keeps preaching, preaching, preaching. Go down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Listen what happens. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified strongly and urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. You see what happened right here? Everything changed when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples. Peter went from denying Jesus to proclaiming boldly Jesus. Remember Peter, dude? Like foot in his mouth, Peter. Like always screwing stuff up. He's preaching here with clarity and boldness. The disciples went from living in fear of the Roman authorities to walking boldly and publicly proclaiming the works of God to total strangers. I mean, you remember pre-Pentecost Peter, right? He was working so hard. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't for lack of fervor or desire. 
He wanted to do what was right. He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to help Jesus. Remember in the garden? He's like, I got you, Jesus. I'm with you. And he takes out the knife and he cuts off the dude's ear. And Jesus has to pick up the ear and be like, Peter, really? And like put it back on the dude. This dude's screwing everything up. He's messing it all up. And then he denies Jesus to a little girl over and over again. That's pre-Pentecost Peter. But post-Pentecost Peter is not only not screwing things up and not denying Jesus. He is walking in things way outside of what he could have ever mustered up himself. I've been listening to Dave Ramsey a lot, that financial guy, right? Because I've been driving a lot, a lot of podcasts. Listen, when it comes to our money, do not live outside of your means, okay? Do not live outside of your means. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, we get to live outside of our means. We get to live outside of our means. Instead of living from a place of trying his best with mediocre results, Peter is now living from a place of God's supernatural means and power with incredible, only God gets the glory kind of results now. And this is caused... By the power from on high, the upon experience of spirit baptism. That is what this resulted in. The world was never the same after the spirit fell upon the disciples in power. So there's two different things here happening, right? There's two different things here happening. There is the Holy Spirit converting us by indwelling us. And there's the Holy Spirit coming upon us and filling us through the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's two different experiences. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in them for salvation. But not every Christian has the Holy Spirit upon them for power and boldness and fruitful and faithful Christian living. That experience is available, though, for every Christian, but not every Christian has had that. Now listen, some of you guys are like, dude, I don't know if that's true, whatever. Don't take my word for it. Listen, let's look at the book of Acts to see this here. This is the testimony of the book of Acts concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second experience. Three distinct places we see this in the book of Acts. First place is we just saw it in Acts chapter 1 and 2 with the disciples on Pentecost. We see it first with the disciples on Pentecost in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The Spirit was already in them. When Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, they received the Holy Spirit. They believed on Jesus. They confessed him. They were Christians. But then some days later on Pentecost, we see the Spirit come upon them. And that was when they received power, just like Jesus said would happen. Separate incidents. Second place we see it is in Acts chapter 8. Go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 8, if you will. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Second place we see this is with the Christians, some Christians rather, in Samaria. In Acts 8, we have these believers in Samaria who have been led to Jesus by Philip sometime earlier. And now here in Acts 8, starting in verse 14, it says, When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. Because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Water baptism in response to repentance and faith in Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They had heard the gospel. They had responded to the gospel. They had even been water baptized. But they had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John Go to pray for them, lay hands on them, that they might be baptized in the Holy Spirit. A separate occurrence from their salvation and water baptism. And then thirdly, we see this in Acts 19. Flip over to Acts chapter 19. We see this with some Christians in Ephesus. Acts 19. Now, this is 20 years after Pentecost, okay? Two decades later. Acts 19, starting in verse 1. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples, believers in Jesus. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul, making the distinction here that sometimes you believe in Jesus, are saved, but don't always receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. 
When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, water baptism. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. So what we see here is that sometimes people are born again. The Spirit comes into them and indwells them, but they don't always receive the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and filling them up until a later time. Now, if this experience had not been given to these people, the Samaritan and Ephesians Christians still would have been Christians. But they would have remained weak. They would have had like a kind of truncated, stifled kind of Christianity. And this honestly is the state of many Christians today, even many in this room maybe. You're saved. You love Jesus. You know Jesus loves you. You're a a child of God. But you're lacking a supernatural power in your life. Maybe even lacking supernatural joy and peace in the midst of circumstances that aren't going the way you want them to. Maybe you simply need the Holy Spirit to come upon you in power and fill you up as the Christians in Samaria and Ephesus did. Now, sometimes the two events happen in tandem with each other. You are saved, the Spirit comes in you and indwells you, and you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes upon you and fills you up to the point of overflowing at the same time. This is the case with some of you. I talked to a lady uh, after the last gathering, Judy Tyner. Some of you know her. Amazing, beautiful, saint of God. I love her so much. And she was like, I'm pretty sure when I got saved, the Spirit must have come upon me. It's like that happens sometimes. When you get saved, the Spirit of God comes upon you, are baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the case with some of you, and this was the case in the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. Let's see this in Scripture here. Not just making stuff up, just teaching what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 10, God speaks to Peter in a vision, and he tells him, hey, there's some Gentiles who I want to bring salvation to. I want you to go to the house of Cornelius. I want you to tell them the good news. And so Peter is there, and he's telling them about the risen Jesus. These people do not yet know Jesus. They've never even heard the good news. They have not responded to the good news. They are not born again. They're just hearing the gospel for the first time. Peter's preaching. It says in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, while he's preaching the gospel, he's still speaking the words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Here we have people who are not yet saved. Hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel at the same moment that the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon them. Sometimes the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens in tandem with salvation. So some of you at this point, because you're kind of like taking stock or whatever, you're like, dude, I don't know. Like, I know I'm a Christian and I'm a son of God. I sound like Jimmy Fallon doing his like teenager scare. I don't know where I'm at. Like what, I don't know. Have Have I been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have I not? What do I, I feel weak. I don't know. How will you know? How do I know if I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, like the disciples, you will experience radical transformation in your life. So here's a good litmus test. If you came to Jesus, put your faith in him, and your life didn't radically change, then maybe... You didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You just like, you, you like shifted your affections kind of toward him. You're like, yeah, I believe in you, Jesus. But like nothing really changed. You didn't experience the power of God all of a sudden in your life. Like chains weren't starting to be broke. Your identity wasn't shifting. You didn't have like a hunger for God's word. You just kind of started going to church and started reading your Bible and stuff like that. Maybe you didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you were saved. Or, listen, if you were a Christian for a long time and you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit— you are going to notice a difference between like the Spirit coming upon you and all those years or months or weeks or days that you lived without the power of the Holy Spirit. You will notice a change. Your Christianity will go from this kind of weak, sort of like, eh, to this vibrant, full, fruitful, effective kind of Christianity. That was my experience. When I was uh, 14, 
I heard about Jesus, and I put my faith in him. I believed in him. I confessed him with my mouth. I was baptized, water baptized. Um, and I knew what I was supposed to do. So I started doing the things I was supposed to do. I started reading my Bible, started going to church, started uh, trying to not, not sin, and st- started trying to do the right things. But that only lasted for a, a few months because I had no power. So eventually I just backslid kind of back into my own ways, and then I'd get heaped under this big old pile of condemnation, and I'd, I'd repent, and I'd come back to Jesus, and there was this cycle, right? And so I'd try to put more rules and parameters on my life to try to keep me on the straight and narrow. And then, a couple of years later, backslidden again, of course, and I, uh, I once again, I went to this meeting, and I once again surrendered my life to Christ. But something was different this time, because the pastor there had us pray to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, I did, I prayed, and something changed in me. I, I personally felt like something inside of me. All of a sudden, my eyes were like open, and my heart was open to the love of God that I'd never experienced before. And for me, there was like outward signs as well. Um, and from that moment on, I was 16, from that moment on, my life has never ever been the same. The same. Was I saved before? Yeah. Was I a Christian? Yeah. Was I born again? I believe so. Did I trust in Jesus? Did I believe on him? Yes. Did I have the spirit indwelling me? Yes. Was I baptized? Yes. But I hadn't yet been spirit baptized. And when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, everything changed. I remember going home and I wanted to read my Bible. I was hungry for the word of God. I I actually wanted to like hang out with my youth pastor. I wanted to get to know other Christians. I wanted to sing worship songs. I wanted to follow God and obey and discern what his will for my life was. I had become, um, this might sound funny to some of you, but I had become addicted to stealing things at that point in my life. I was a full-on kleptomaniac. I could not walk into a store without walking out with something that I didn't purchase. And uh, I had tried, you know, to like stop because I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't. I loved the control that came with getting whatever I wanted. And uh, in fact, the month before I I received the baptism of the Spirit, um, I got arrested in Lake Havasu for shoplifting. And I couldn't stop. I was addicted. I loved it. But you know what? The Spirit came upon me in power, fell on me, and I was baptized in the Spirit in an instant, that was broken. Like, I never wanted to steal a thing again. I, I can't even to this day take a creamer from a restaurant without asking for it. You know what I mean? I can't. God broke that in me immediately. I, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I still sinned. I do still sin, but I have never backslidden. I have power and unction that I never had before. This is an imperfect analogy, but do you guys remember the Flintstones? Okay, do you remember their car? You remember how they got from place A to place B in their car? Their feet, right? There was a, a hole in the floorboard, and they would just, just as fast as they could, right? They went a lot faster than that because it's, you know, TV or whatever. But they're just working, 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 right? That's what the Christian life is like without the power of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're working so hard, to move forward. But it's, it's like that. It's just, just, right? Like, I'm, I'm tired just doing it right now. Just working so hard to move so little. When you're born again, it's like God puts you in the car. God puts you in the car, and you're on the right path. You're still going to the destination. You're adopted. You're in the family of God. You're, you're headed to glory. You're going to heaven. But until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, it's like you have no engine. It's just a floorboard in the ground, and you're like pedaling along. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is like God putting an engine in your car and like buttoning up the floorboard and being like, dude, you don't have to work like that, bro. Like that was not what I intended. Here's, here's an engine, and I'm going to give you a full tank of gas when I put it in. When the Spirit comes upon you, you are full of the Holy Spirit and power, and you have everything that you need to be a faithful and fruitful witness of Jesus. Now, why does God give some people the car and the engine at the same time, and others it's a second occurrence? I don't know. 
I don't know, it's a mystery, but that's what we see in Scripture. That's what we've seen in many of our lives. Sometimes it could be that you, you're saved, but like, you don't have the fullness of God's power and presence in your life because there's a barrier up. We'll talk about that in just a minute here. But listen, without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean, you're still going to get there. You're still going to get to the destination. You might even get some stuff done in the kingdom. But you're going to get burnt out, bummed out, beat down, frustrated, and have way less results. That is not the life that God has for you. That is not the life God has for you. God has more for you. Acts 2.38 says that it is the gift of the Father. Listen, it's Father's Day. I know we usually give gifts to our Father on Father's Day. But the Father says, I don't need anything from you. I have a gift for you. I have a gift for you. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody, that great preacher, evangelist, church planner from Chicago, he preached for years without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As a born-again believer, without the power of the Holy Spirit. But after he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, everything changed for D.L. Moody. He would later go on to write and say, I have lived long enough to know that if I cannot have the power of the Spirit of God on me to help me to work for him, I would rather die than to live just for the sake of living. It wasn't that D.L. Moody wasn't doing anything good. He was doing some stuff. But there was more to be had once he received the power from on high. It is possible to have some of the work of the Spirit in your life. After all, he is indwelling you, but comes short of the fullness of his work of enabling and empowering you through the baptism of the Spirit. Listen, the Flintstones car is cool. It's got like that kind of vintage old school thing happening. But God wants to give you an engine. He wants to put an engine in your car and a GPS system to lead you along the road. The Holy Spirit is the Father's gift to us. But like any gift, there is a participatory involvement that needs to take place in the receiving. And like any gift, there are certain things that can hinder you from receiving. You don't have to do anything to earn it, but you can present, re- prevent yourself from receiving it. I, over the last 20 years, I've been able to travel all around the world and have literally encountered hundreds of thousands of Christians. And there are two different types. Two different types. I don't care where you go, what country you're in. Two different types. Those who have the engine and those who are the Flintstones. But God wants everyone to have the engine. There's no, it's not the Stone Ages, dude. You don't have to live like this. The promise of the Father is for everyone. We just read it. The promise of the Father is for everyone. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. But there are certain things that blockade us, that put walls up from us fully receiving what he has for us in our life. Listen, God wants to give more of himself to you right now. And if you're living in kind of that weak Christianity, it is most likely, not always, but most likely because there are barriers up, walls up to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want to identify some of those right now before we finish. What are some barriers to spirit baptism? Number one, it could be a lack of deep conviction, a.k.a. pride and self-reliance. If you don't see your need for the Holy Spirit, then you're not going to ask or put yourself in a position of receiving. And if you don't do that, the Father's not going to give you his Holy Spirit. And even if he did, because even if he did, you wouldn't really rely on, look to, be led by him because you're so convinced that you've already got everything that you need. God is not some little band-aid to put over one or two issues in our life. He's not something that we add, like, okay, I got that taken care of, and then I, what about my spiritual, oh, Jesus, he likes my spiritual part of that. No, 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 God is an ocean. He's not a spigot that we come to to, like, fill up some stuff when we need something. He is an ocean that we are intended to dive into and be immersed in. He wants all of us in it. He wants all of himself on, around, filling, overflowing us. That is who God is. God is not just something we add to our life. He is our life. And you can't just see your need for salvation, but not see your need for the power of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not how it works. Secondly, a barrier could be a refusal to yield your will, a lack of surrender. Some of you have no power in your life. This is a big one, guys. Some of you have no power in your life because you're just not willing to surrender. You're not willing to surrender your plans and your comfort. You're not willing to give up control. By walking in, being led by, full of God's spirit means, though, that you give up your control and give over your control so that he can be in control. 
And you can ask all that you want, but until you're willing to die to yourself and your desires, you cannot experience the fullness of what God has for you. Listen, I'm going to say that again. You cannot, will not experience the fullness of what God has for you unless you give over control to him. The fullness of God in your life comes when God is given full access to every part of our lives. I believe that many, so many Christians today are not experiencing the fullness of God in our lives because we're simply not willing to give up the control. If that's you, listen, you're being robbed. You are being robbed. God is wanting to pop open your hood and put an engine, and you're like sitting on it like, no, Lord, I got it. I, I see. No, 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 it's cool. I don't need it. I don't need it. He's like, dude, just get off the stinking hood. Let me put an engine in your car. I'm your father. I know what's best. You don't know what's best. Stop trying to figure it out. You're not in control. You think you're in control. Stop it. I'm the God of the universe. I hold all things together. I control everything. Let me control your life. Let me control your life. Thirdly, the barrier could be a refusal to repent of sin. The Bible says that the Spirit comes to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But if you are unwilling to listen to that conviction and respond to it, why would God give you a Spirit? It's what He does. Fourth barrier could be simply ignorance. Like the believers in Ephesus in Acts 19, they were like, what? There's a Holy Spirit? That's sick. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Some of you today are like, dude, I'm a Christian, but I've been walking in this kind of like wheat struggle, just like trying to go, like buck up and pull up my bootstraps and do it. I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Dude, today's the day. Today's the day. Come to the Father and be like, Lord, give me your spirit. I want all of who you are. And lastly, a barrier could be wrong motives. Jesus said, ask and the Father will give. But James says, sometimes not getting is because we have wrong motives. The Holy Spirit's aim in everything he does is to exalt Jesus, to sanctify us to God for God's purposes, and to send us out in mission. But if we are not willing to make our lives about the same things, then why would God give his Spirit to us. If you only want the, the engine and the GPS so you can be powerful, show off, or have some kind of cool experience, dude, God's just going to let you be a Flintstone. Right? That is not what the engine and the GPS are for. They are for doing the work of the Father. So then, what must be done? What, right now, right, we need to respond to this. What must be done? Well, we need to align our hearts and our minds with Scripture And number one, recognize our need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Number two, be willing to forsake the sin that is holding us back from pursuing God's will. Three, be willing to surrender our will to God's will. And four, we need to ask. Luke 11, 9 through 13 says, Jesus said, I I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Listen, Listen, this is God speaking to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, listen, how much more will the heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? It is the Father's gift and he wants to give you his spirit. You just need to ask. And you need to let those walls down, make sure the barriers aren't there. And we can ask in confidence because John said this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. It's God's will that every one of us have the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask in just a minute. We're going to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you guys are like, all right, dude, what's going to happen, though? What's going to happen? Because, like, stuff happens in the Bible. People speaking in tongues and prophesying. That's crazy stuff. Listen, you're like, dude, is reality about to get super weird right now? I don't know. But the Bible is supernatural, right? Sometimes weird things happen that are not in the natural. That's all right. That's all right. So you're like, what will happen? And how will you know you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing is, listen, you just need to know that you receive the Holy Spirit by faith. We receive Christ by faith, we walk by faith, and we receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And that means that we don't have to expect some sign, we don't have to look for some sign. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. We take God at his word that when we ask and we let down the barriers that we will receive. 
but there might be some signs. There might be possible signs. And at Pentecost, there was tongues and an immediate witness. For the believers in Ephesus, there was tongues and prophesying. The household of Cornelius, there was prophesying, tongues, and worship in Acts 10. For the believers in Samaria, there was no documented, immediate, accompanying sign in Acts chapter 8. For me, there was tongues. But listen, don't get freaked out. You don't have to be like, dude, I don't want to speak in tongues. It's weird. Listen, I don't know anybody on the planet, in my experience, who's ever been like, Lord, I don't want that gift. And God's like, forget you, dude. I got you. Here you go. Like nobody does. God's not going to do that to you. I'm just going to give you some gift that you're like, no, God is a gentleman in that way. God is a gentleman in that way. On the contrary, I know a lot of people who are like, Lord, I want to give the tongues. That sounds cool. He's like, no, I'm not giving you the gift of tongues. That's more often what I see happening. So I don't know. Well, do you speak in tongues? Maybe. But like you don't have to trip out. If you're like, I don't want to speak in tongues, God's not going to make you. Right? It's, o- it's okay. There may be no physical anything. The idea is always the Holy Spirit comes upon us for power to be witnesses. That's the whole thing. It's not about like the gifts or whatever. It's always for the sake of like being on mission and making Jesus more famous. That's what this is about. You are called to be on mission. God has commissioned you to be on mission. And he's like, but you can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this is about. So possible signs? Yeah, maybe. And then lastly, you should expect future faithful and fruitful living. That's what you should expect. Charles Finney said this. This is so good. Imagine this. Imagine this. I know I'm going a little bit long, but this is good stuff. Listen. Charles Finney said, I was powerfully converted on the morning of the month of October 1822. In the evening of the same day, separate occurrence, I received overwhelming baptisms of the Holy Ghost that went through me as it seemed to be body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that, listen, A few words dropped here or there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. This is what I'm praying for you, you, Reality Venture. I'm praying you go to Arco afterwards to get some gas, and you're there because you're walking in the power of the Spirit, and you see a guy, and you're just like, hey, Jesus is alive, and he's just immediately saved, just born again like that. That's what happened with Charles Finney. That's the kind of like, what, kingdom-shaking, like earth-shaking kind of stuff that happens when the Holy Spirit's moving, we're submitted and surrendered to the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. So listen, three last little tiny things here. First of all, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not optional, okay? We are commanded to seek spirit baptism. It is not optional. It is not optional. Paul says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a constant command. Constantly be being filled. We're going to talk more about that next week. The Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not optional. Secondly, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a reward, It is a gift. Acts 2.38 said it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That means that you can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to screw up the gift. It is a free gift. Jesus already paid for it. But you do need to receive. And you can put up stuff like hindering receiving. But there's nothing you need to do in order to earn it. On the contrary, we are to expect it. Now, because it is a gift, that also means that we don't get to decide what the fruit of that gift is. For instance, we don't get to decide how God's going to lead us, how God's going to move in our lives, what kind of spiritual gifts he might give to us, or how he might manifest his power in our lives. It is up to the sovereign will of God. And lastly, listen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. It is not exclusive. It's not just for some Christians. It is only for Christians. But it is for all Christians. It is not also just for some like mature or super spiritual or accomplished believers. Remember Peter? Remember Peter? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all. It is the Father's gift for every one of his children and available immediately. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray in just a minute. And I'm going to have you stand if, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or if you're just like, dude, I don't know if I've been baptized in the Spirit or not because it's kind of ambiguous or whatever. There was no physical signs. I don't know, but I want more of the Lord. Listen, it's never a bad prayer to pray, God, give me more of your Spirit. The Bible commands us to continually be filled with the Spirit. So one of the most common prayers I pray is, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. I have been baptized in the Spirit. God has given me his engine with a full tank of gas. But listen, sometimes the gas needs to be refilled. The gas tank needs to be refilled. I don't need a new engine. God already gave me his engine. I already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I need to be filled. So I pray this prayer. I prayed it right now before I got on stage. Lord, fill me. Please, I need you. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. So listen, here's the deal. You're like, I don't know what I need. I need to be filled. I need to be baptized. 
Your Father knows what you need before you ask. So we're going to ask. We're going to ask for more of him. And listen, if you're like, dude, I'm good. I'm good. I want to be in control. I like being a Flintstone. Don't stand up. Don't stand up. Don't stand up. But know that you're putting up a barrier. All right? Know that you're not experiencing. You're getting robbed. You're not experiencing the fullness of God in your life. But if you want the fullness of God, then right now go ahead and stand up. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to turn the lights down. And uh, listen, the Bible says we see people laying hands on one another and praying for each other. So if you came with somebody, lay a hand on them. If you're next to somebody you don't know, ask them, hey, can I put my hand on your shoulder? If they say no, don't do it. Let's lay hands on one another. Listen, we're all family here. Put a hand on somebody unless they say they don't want that. And uh, let's put our hearts in a posture of receiving. If you have another hand, maybe even just lift it up like this or whatever. I'm going to pray now. Father, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. It's Father's Day, Lord, and though we can't bring anything to you, you say, hey, here's what would be a a gift to me is if, if you put yourself and your life in a place of receiving what I have for you. I want to see you. I want to see you walk in the fullness of what I have for you. And so we do, Lord, those of us who are standing, we put our, our hearts, our minds, our lives in a posture of receiving what you have, in a posture of humility, in a posture of not self-reliance, but God-reliance. We put ourselves before you, Lord, and we ask now that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on every single individual here in this place. Holy Spirit, that you would come. You would fall on us. You would fill us up to the point of overflowing. We invite you into this place and into our lives. We surrender control. We make ourselves submitted to you like like a patient is submitted to a surgeon on an operating table who knows best. And we, 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 we surrender ourselves to you in that way. Lord, you know what's best. You know exactly what we need. Give us everything that you have for us. Everything that you have for us, Lord. Nothing less. Nothing more, but nothing less. Do your thing in our lives. Holy Spirit, come and move, breathe, fall. Do what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name.